Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is July 21st, 2020, and this is episode 45. Now we've got, I feel like the time in the world right now is just getting weirder, sadder, and darker. A lot of things that people are missing out on this summer. But this episode I want to focus in on a couple of races that are pretty important to people in the Pacific Northwest. And that aren't going to happen this year. Well, I know Seafair is not going to happen. The Columbia Cup has been postponed to possibly later in, the, later in the summer. We haven't heard official word yet from the Water Follies, if the race will happen this year or not. But regardless, it will not happen at the time it usually happens. Usually, in the late July, last week in July, we, most of us trek over to Tri-Cities and enjoy ourselves for the weekend in the Tri-Cities and watch the Columbia Cup. And then the following weekend, we come back over to Seattle and, and enjoy Seafair. And these, these, uh, it's not going to be the same summer without that. So for this episode today, I wanted to kind of revisit Columbia Cups and Seafairs of years gone by, maybe some more impressionable ones. I'm going to talk about some, uh, some of the iconic moments for each race. Actually, I'm going to give a top five iconic moments for the Columbia Cup and as well for Seafair. Those will be a little slated as they're going to be kind of through my eyes and what was I'm going to deem as iconic for those races, uh, respectively. I'm going to talk about some of my personal favorite memories, and I also reached out and asked fans for some submissions, and here are some of your favorite memories from Columbia Cups and Seafarers. I got a lot of great submissions, i got to tell you. I looked through a lot of them. Uh, I handpicked a few out. So let's have some fun. Let's go. Let's stroll down memory lane and talk about some some great Columbia Cups and Seafarers. But before we get deeper in the episode, you may have noticed in the background some noises that sound familiar. These are audio recordings from the pits in 1972. Now I think a gentleman just recorded some background ambiance sounds from Seafarer that year. Fortunately enough for us, I think it would be a great backdrop for this episode. Very fitting. Now I want to thank Greg Dill as he donated several tapes from the 1970s of many races, interviews, broadcasts, which fortunately for the podcast we'll be able to digitalize, save and restore those tapes and get those out to the listeners. I look forward to preserving a piece of Hydroplane history with those. So Greg, thank you very much for that. I think this is a perfect backdrop for our episode today. And I'll talk a little bit more about those tapes at the end of the episode. Now, when thinking back on favorite memories of seafarers and Columbia Cups, I hesitate to really highlight crashes involved. I know many fans in the media really like to push that product out there, the various crashes, because it's sexy to sell that side of the sport. There are some mentioned in my top five. I feel that those are mentioned in a way that's tasteful. There are some also that are mentioned in fan submissions, but I didn't pick any that really resulted in any tragic sense. I'm not mentioning any that resulted in in death or in serious injuries to the drivers, as I don't really want to promote that, but really want to focus more on the brighter sides of the sport. 
But before we get to my top five, I want to read you some fan submissions. First, let's start with Brandon Downey from West Richland, Washington. And Brandon wrote to us that in 1989, he was eight years old. He saw his favorite driver, Chip Hanauer, violently spin out the boat in the early morning testing on Sunday and then be pulled from the race. Later on, Scott Pierce flipped on that same day and Cooper's Express ended up winning. This wasn't necessarily one of his most favorite races, but it was definitely one of the most memorable. He says some of the most satisfying Columbia Cups were seeing JMK uh, be the underdog using some different techniques and strategies to beat the faster boats in the, in the field in the past few years. Also at Seafair back in 99, Greg Hop beating out Vilwalk in preliminary heats as he took over for Chip that year for Seafair. Fred Leland was actually nice enough to let Brandon go up in the scissor lift with him and watch a heat play out. So that was that was a big moment as a fan to be able to, to observe a race from the pits in the scissor lift. He also remembers another Seafair with Theoret had the final race won on the water, but a very debatable penalty took away the win. Well, <laughs> if you wouldn't have said Theoret, I would have questioned what year that was, because it seems like there's been a lot of years where there's been a debatable penalty uh, deciding a victory, uh, either during the race or after the race. But a lot of great memories, and he's got says these were some really vivid memories that stood out for him. Another one that was submitted was from Matt Johnson. He lives in Renton, Washington, which... As a fellow Rentonian, as myself, said in the late 90s, either 97 or 98, he was along with his older brother and his dad after they helped restore the 1967 Miss Budweiser. And Brad Lewis was one of the guys that was helping as well. The next year, after the restoration was finished, he was doing his usual broadcast with the KONA radio station at the Columbia Cup, and he happened to be on the Pasco side, which was not too far from where Matt was sitting. So he decided to bring him a snow cone. We walked over and found him and, and chatted with him for a bit before letting him go back to his job and get back on the air. And a few minutes later, he was listening to the radio and he got a shout out from Brad Luce. So as a little kid at the time, being six or seven, that was one of the coolest things he ever experienced at the races. And he brings it up from time to time whenever he sees Brad again. That's a great memory from a Columbia Cup gone past. That's uh, pretty cool to get a shout out on the radio. It's always fun when you can get a shout out on radio or TV like that. It's pretty cool. Well, man, usually at this time I'm getting getting ready, uh, looking forward to driving over to Eastern Washington. I love escaping the Seattle summers for a weekend. It's always fun to get, escape it and go over to Eastern Washington where you get some true heat and some true sun over there. You know, thinking through all the different Columbia Cups that have gone by, I mean, it's, there's a lot of history over there. They have held an unlimited race since 1966. So it's really a location that's rich in history. A lot of great moments that went on. I could sit here and talk for hours on end about the different iconic moments. But in thinking about it, talking with some friends, and mulling it over, I came up with five iconic moments that kind of capture the Columbia Cup throughout the years. So bear with me. I know I'm going to miss some of your, your favorite moments, but these are my top five. So coming in at number five would be 2012. Now, 2012 was an interesting year in H1. Some, some pretty fast boats and a lot of great talent in the sport. In the final heat, everyone thought the Alberto had the, the clear lead and had the race sewn up. But Steve David jumped the score at Bowie, giving up his victory. 
And there was a really a great race towards the finish. I, I think J. Michael Kelly, driving the Beacon Plumbing at the time, which was owned by Billy Shoemaker, in a, a relatively new boat, held the lead for most of the most of the race and went deck to deck and exchanged leads for the last couple laps with Jimmy Shane and the Graham Trucking, Ted Porter's entry. I remember sitting on the on the Kennewick side and you didn't know who was gonna win. They were so close. They kept changing the leads, going to the corner, going straight away. And and Jimmy Shane edged out J. Michael Kelly at the finish line, beating him by probably barely a boat length. And I remember seeing a picture in the newspaper the next day and they were they were so close at the finish. It was it was a really exciting finish. The fans really enjoyed that one. Coming in number four, we talked about this earlier in the show, a fan entry talked about the 1989 race. It was a crazy race with uh, the circus leaving early on in the, in the day and the Pringles flipping into preliminary heat. really became a day of attrition where a lot of boats weren't able to finish or got penalties in the final. And Cooper's Express was able to, to come to a victory there, which many people thought that was never going to happen with that, with that team at that time. Later on they were able to to kind of come on their own with their their latest boat but in 1989 it was it was a kind of a Cinderella story for them to be able to win that race and Mitch Evans probably one of more his more popular wins being so close to Chelan his, his hometown. It was one of those final heats where a lot of magic came into place. Kirkman back here at Tri-Cities, Washington. Here's your final results. Cooper's Express, the winner, followed by Holset, Miss Mazda, Miss Budweiser, Pietro's Pizza, and two boats that did not finish. Now let's go to the happy winner's dock. Well, Mitch, doesn't matter how you do it, my friend. That was a win, no matter how you look at it. That's it. I mean, the boat ran perfect, nailed the start, got in a position I thought we could really do a good job. And hey, the thing just, I stood on it and we didn't worry about what happened. We just went and came out good. You got to give a little credit to Mike Hansen. He was riding you oh, all the Mike. way. They were forced, you guys were forced to stay up on it. Yeah, him. we, I kept looking for Mike and I thought, well, we're gaining ground on, on Tom a little bit here. And then all of a sudden it closed up and, and Mike disappeared. And I thought, well, maybe he got caught inside of him and I just drove on by. Mitch, you guys have worked all year. It has not been the easiest of years. You've fought a lot of hard battles, but this one has just got to make it that much better. Oh, that is, you know, it's, it's another hometown for me. I just couldn't ask for any more. It was great. What do you do from here on? Oh, I'm going to go rest for a while. Go home, do a little work, and get ready for Seattle. We're really looking forward to getting on the rest of the year. Jumping to number three, I'm moving back into the 2000s. I remember this one pretty vividly. I was crewing on a team with my father that summer. We got out of the pits, watched the final heat pretty close to the pits at a friend's tent. And at the time, in 2001, Fred Leland... Well, for many years he held, he brought two or three boats to a race, but this year he brought two boats. They're both Zenetics. They're painted almost identical to each other, so you didn't really, couldn't tell from the shore who was in which boat. He had two drivers, Greg Hopp and Terry Troxel. And the Bud was the boat to beat at the time, and, and they found a number in Tri-Cities where they were able to outfox him at the start. They got him outside of both boats. One of the Zenetic boats pushed him out in the first corner, the other one 
screamed like hell down the backstretch and, and escaped him. And for the first lap or two, we thought it, everyone thought it was Greg Hopp was going to get his first victory. And then, I believe on lap two or so, the announcer on the radio said, "No, it's Terry Troxel. He's he's in the lead." And Greg kept pushing the butt out further and further and further. And Terry got his first victory in H1 on the Columbia River that day. I just remember it was it was a it was a fun race to watch because of the strategy and and the, it was really a team effort because they they were out qualified by Budweiser by a good amount I'll say and they really had to put a lot of strategy to figure out how to win that one and I just remember after Terry won and I wish I could find video of this but no one I don't think anyone got this on video but if if you if you're listening and you got this on video I'd love to see it but he got close to the pits after his victory and we thought he was coming into the pits and going to celebrate on the deck but before he got into the pits he he went and did some donuts he cut some donuts in the boat never saw that before or after of any hydroplane Terry Troxell takes the checkered flag in Fred Leland's Synetics 2, his first career victory on the Budweiser Unlimited Hydroplane Series presented by Laughlin. The Leland camp is a big one and the green shirts are going crazy down. You can hear them in the background and his teammate Greg Hopp had quite a bit to do with it. He did, you know, great help and great. There he is. He's, he's happy for his teammate and uh, sure he wants to win but Terry's just got to be going nuts. I saw his daughter down there earlier. She's crying. <laughs> They're having fun. Terry Proxel, one of America's great boat racers, racing in the national mod class, almost unbeatable, but it's a big step from the small boats up to the bigger ones, Mark. He sure appears to be comfortable now. He does. He got he got his stuff together. It was a little tough at first being a bigger boat, but uh, uh, came up from the limited ranks, uh, winning a lot, doing really good. So look how happy he is. Great. That is one happy camp. Fred and Jackie Leland, a big crew. They work hard the year round. And right now he's pointing out his crew members and saying, you guys, gave me one great race boat. <laughs> They're the ones that do it. I There's a teammate. I see Jimmy Labrie there. Oh, there's Greg up on the boat with him. Congratulating him. Terry Troxell driving Zenetics 2 for Fred and Jackie Leland, the winner here in the Tri-Cities. Dave Bilwak, a great run coming all the way from the outside, finishing in second place. Terry Troxell, congratulations on your first no, win, yeah, man. Yeah. I was supposed to come up here and back this thing up, but I'm glad you guys did. Great job. Uh, we, did a, we had a hell of a plan and it worked and yeah, I mean, we got a little luck at the end when they inverted everything, but we did it, and that was for Fred's birthday. It's Fred's birthday today. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you. Coming in at number two, jumping back to the early '80s, in 1981 was this another surprise victory when the Squire Shop with Chip Hanauer beat the Bud and the Atlas. Now it was a it was Muncie's race to win. He held them for four solid laps, and then going into the backstretch in the last lap, he had a huge lead over the Bud and the, and the Squire. Something happened, a mechanical gremlin got Muncie, the boat went down, stopped in its tracks, and Budweiser was cruising around to the backstretch to what he thought was an easy win. I've heard a few stories told about this. I'm not sure if Dean just didn't see where Chip was on the race course, but I think he was just cruising around to get an easy finish. And Hanauer snuck inside of, of Chenoweth. He beat him to the finish line for a pretty popular win in 1981.
I didn't make a very good start, and I could. I think I thought I could move up on Dean if I kept the pressure up. So we just kept the pressure on. I tried to hide behind his rooster tail so he wouldn't see us until the finish. And luckily, we snuck in there underneath him in the last corner and beat him in the line. Uh, I don't know. Acne stayed together all day long, and I just got the best crew and the best crew chief and Jerry Zubich and Dan Walters and Mr. Style, the owner. We're just a real solid team. Now, before we get to number one, I want to talk about some some runners up. I had a lot of years of of Columbia Cups I wanted to, to talk about. So I'm gonna give a few nods to, to a few different moments and years of Columbia Cups past that just didn't quite make the top five bubble. But for me, I would say 1966, for the first ever race on the Columbia River, has to be an iconic moment. Budweiser got their first career victory as a sponsor with Bill Brow and for Bernie, Bernie Little. Also, the pre-Beer Garden days, I think, I think the uh, the atmosphere was a little bit different when uh, there was no beer gardens and people were kind of free to roam and party and enjoy as they please. I uh, I'm a bit young for that crowd. I my earliest memories are the of the Columbia Cup is in the early '90s, so I missed a lot of those days. But uh, I enjoy hearing some of those stories as well. <laughs> Uh, I remember back in 2003 when Lumar beat out the Budweiser again. Uh, I just remember that Mark was going crazy after his uh, Mark Evans was going crazy after his win. It was a it was a fun final heat to watch. I remember the crazy part about that was uh, at that time most of the boats, as in today, they all look have the same silhouette, and the the final heat was run pretty late in that day, and looking down into the left turn. Uh, it was just a kind of a, a glare and glaze from the sun, the setting sun there. And after the first lap, we saw the boats coming out of, the, out of that turn, and we everyone thought, well, it's, it's Budweiser's race. He's got the lead. And after they got about down to the starting line, you realize, no, that was the Lumar <laughs> that was out in front. So it was fun to see Bill Wooster get that victory in 2003 and, and that team step up um, with that victory. Another one in the, in the 80s is the 1984 Gold Cup. I think that's got to be an iconic moment as well. Um, we give a nod to that because it was uh, the Gold Cup was held in Tri-Cities. Again, I know they had a race in the 70s, but in 84 they had the Gold Cup there. Uh, 84 was such a crazy year for Unlimiteds because there was, when I think of Unlimiteds, I think that was probably the gold star year for true Unlimiteds because there was... You think about all the different types of hulls and power plants were uh, racing that year. There was a tunnel boat that was racing, or at least tempting, attempting to race in the in the in the class. There was the the dawn of the turbines were happening. You had Griffin engines. You had Merlins. You had Allisons. You had turbocharged Allisons. You had all different types of power plants, and it's just crazy to think of. All the experimentation and, and the new hulls that were that year, uh, I think it was a pretty exciting race. Uh, Mickey Riemann almost had it for Squire Shop, but they couldn't quite finish all the laps. Uh, but it was it was an, another exciting race. One last thing I want to mention before I get to my 
number one on iconic moments of the Columbia Cup. It was over at the lagoon, about 300 yards behind the pits. Every year on the Saturday of the Columbia Cup, RC Unlimited would host a 1-8 scale race of 1-8 scale models. And that's such a backbone for myself in hydroplane racing because of the legacy of my father with that club and with scale hydroplane racing. But I made so many friends over the years that raced models in that club. Uh, it was always a highlight of racing models for the year because you're part of the show, so to speak, with the Columbia Cup. Always would draw a lot of fans, have a lot of people watching the race, and it was just always a lot of fun. All right, but my number one moment, my top iconic moment for the Columbia Cup had to be actually in 2004. Now, I know I have a lot of dates that are kind of closer to now, so once again, I'm sorry if I didn't get your moment on there. But in 2004, it was it's really a sentimental year because Hydroplane Racing lost a true legend. Bernie Little passed away. That year, they, they had kind of a memorial thing for him. The Hydroplane and Race Boat Museum actually had restored the... I can't remember if they just restored it that year or the year before, or pretty close to that. But they had the the Griffin Budweiser restored. They brought that over to Tri-Cities. They also had an early 60s Miss Budweiser, one of the, the first Budweisers that was restored. And they brought those over, and they went out and they did an exhibition run when they had the Round Nose Miss Budweiser, the Griffin Budweiser, and the, the last edition all red T6 Budweiser. And they, they took him out on the course and they did some parade laps together uh, in honor of Bernie Little. At the time, I didn't quite get the significance of it, but I was fortunate enough, as the team I was with had a scissor lift, I was able to go up in the scissor lift and watch the whole event happen and took some pictures. But Bernie Little really had, it was really meaningful to the sport, obviously, for many, many reasons. But he was really meaningful to that race, to the Columbia Cup. And some of the stories I don't think I heard until later on in life, but he did so much for that race. I mean, if you think about getting the sponsorships for, for Budweiser to, to help host the race, he also put a lot of money in, I know, to the rescue sleds and, and to those crafts. Wherever he saw a need, he would always jump in and make sure it would happen. I know one thing that's nice, they ha still have the Bernie tree, which is in the pits, the far end of the pits, and now I believe the, the winner of the previous year's race gets to sit underneath that tree, but that would always be his tree. He would always get that spot down there, and I believe he actually, there was a time where that tree was dying. There was some, I don't know if it was a insect infestation or what, but he got arborists out there and and paid them to figure out how to save that tree and keep it alive and healthy. So he really did a lot for that Columbia Cup, for that race. And not to mention that he won the first event there back in 1966. So I think pulling that all together testing, and just testing, having that testing. moment with all three boats, three different generations of, of hulls and boats out there in the water together was, uh, was really significant. And unfortunately, I don't have any audio recordings of that iconic moment. 
But there is audio recording of Bernie's final victory, which took place the season before, 2003, at Seafair. But I'll tell you, this team has meant so much to me over so many years. And racing, uh, 40, this is my 40th year, and uh, to, to get these kind of victories at the Gold Cup and the Seattle race, uh, I mean, that's pretty hard to do. But as far as my personal memories with the Columbia Cup, I would say out of all the Columbia Cups I've been to, 1993 really stands out vividly in my mind. I was I was a little kid running around in the dirt, running around, getting into trouble. I think I was probably eight at the time. But I just remember all the, all the beautiful paint schemes that all the boats had. They really did a tremendous job of trying to brand each boat. So each boat was really different than one another. There wasn't a bunch of red boats out there running together. They all tried to have their own flavor and taste and as a kid, that really, that seeing all those different colors and paint schemes really attracted me more to the race. And I just remember how excited I would be sitting on the, on the, on the beach, waiting for each heat to start. And you, couldn't, you can't see the pits if you're far enough down river. If you're on the beach on the Kennewick side, you can't see the pits. So you'd hear the clock go off. You know the boats are going to be coming out. And you're, you're looking down the river, and all of a sudden you see the golden red, the Budweiser go by, the, the bright Dayglow Winston Eagle, the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes metallic blue and, and Dayglow orange. You see the tide come out. You see the, the pink Circus Circus, the, the green and red Alberto. There was all these beautiful boats that would just pop out. I just remember being so excited seeing those boats come out on the water. It was a great race as well. There was some unfortunate flips. Uh, the tide flipped. Uh, in the preliminary heat. And one that was actually pretty crazy was seeing the Circus Circus flip before the race even started. That was, uh, I remember everyone was looking down the corner waiting for the, the boats to come around for the start and I was looking down the backstretch at the Circus Circus hauling ass trying to catch back up to the to the crew and and uh, not making it. He flipped on the backstretch. But at that time, I think Chip Hanauer was my favorite driver and it was fun seeing him in the bud uh, getting matched up with the Winston in almost every heat, and they're bashing into each other, uh, really pushing you know the edge of, the, of the, their crafts and their machines, and then Chip winning, really you know topped it off. But one other thing that just really stands out to me is just all the hydroplane vendors that were out there. Each team seemed to have a trailer with shirts and hats and pins and any kind of stuff you'd want to buy. And I remember a few of the teams had some games you could play. Just how, as a kid. You know, that's almost, that was like being at a candy store. I was a kid, <laughs> the hydroplanes were my candy. So going around and looking at all, you know, all the stuff and seeing what my parents could buy for me. So a lot of favorite memories from there. Now, actually, I have a, some friends who tease me about about this. I am a school teacher. I get summers off and, you know, with my, my teacher friends, we always talk about what are we going to do this summer. And, you know, some talk about going hiking or backpacking, maybe trying to go to a different country travel around the world, pick up some craft, you know, that they're going to try and do. And every year, I always tell my friends, well, I'm going to Tri-Cities. This summer, I'm going to Tri-Cities. So it, it was, everyone has a big laugh at that with me, but I'm not really joking. I, I really enjoy going over to Tri-Cities for that weekend, seeing, seeing all my friends, getting out to the heat. It's just uh, it's a tradition that I always look forward to. I'm bummed that, the, that it might not be a possibility 
this year. Well, I got a few other great fan submissions I want to share with you. Gary Cavanaugh emailed in a submission. He's from Covington, Washington. He's been a longtime Hydroplane fan, but he would say out of all the races together, his favorite had to be the 1974 Gold Cup, which was in Seattle, Washington. He would share this, going to races with his younger brother, Roger, and that race was just a huge celebration for him for many reasons. But for 50 years, him and his younger brother, Roger, would go down the races in Seattle. They always sat at the exact same spot under a tree close to the pits. Rain or shine, him and Roger were always there watching and enjoying the show. He would try to go with them all the time, but sometimes life got in the way and he wasn't able to continue. This was the first year in all those years that Roger won't be able to go, not because the race was canceled, but unfortunately he recently just passed away. This year, on the day where Seafair would be held, he will be going down with his family and gather on that tree that they would always go to every year to celebrate his life. Six feet apart, of course, to practice safe social distancing, but unfortunately with no sounds of the thunder on the lake. Condolences go out to you, Gary. I'm sorry for your loss. Hydroplane racing is such a fun thing to share with your family. I've really enjoyed sharing it with my family for all these years. I'm sorry that, you know, can't celebrate it with him anymore, but I'm glad you're going to celebrate on that day. Another one is from John Osterberg. He was born in Seattle, grew up in Lake Hills, and lives in Redmond. So it's safe to say he's a Seattle native. And he has a few different memories from over the years. In particular, in 1965 in Seattle, Bartle won their third consecutive Gold Cup. He remembers the 1973 Race in the Rain with the Great Bud Pack Duels. Memorable bad weather in the last year of the beloved three mile course. But also in 1984 at the Columbia Cup, when he was able to display the newly restored Miss Bartle, only restored in the cosmetically sense, uh, after weeks of work with Roger Newton, my father, Dick Schlemmel, and almost seeing the Griffin Bud win uh, after being DQ'd in the final. A lot of great memories. A lot of great memories. It really is such a fun time of the summer for us in the Pacific Northwest. I feel really it's the height of summer. Alright, well I want to talk about my iconic moments for Seafair. Now my top five for Seafair, again, Seattle has a long history of it. Uh, early 50s is when uh, the race was brought to Seattle um, after Ted Jones and Stan Sayers when the Gold Cup brought it back here to Seattle for 1951. So it's hard to really pin it down to five memories. Most of the memories are going to be a bit sooner to now, but uh, just a lot of great memories are on and off the water there. So I'll start with number five. Back in 2017, so only a couple years ago, when Andrew Tate defended his Seafair victory from 2016 and won his second race on Lake Washington. That was such a thrilling race. It's crazy to think he, he won there uh, after all his years. His father tried to win in Seattle and never do it. But that was such a great race. He was deck to deck with Jimmy Shane for a lot of laps. Really flying the boat pretty high to get that win. And I remember being in the south turn watching it and just fans were on their feet. Louder than I have I've seen and heard in many years. So it was, it was a tremendous win and a fun one to see. But wait a minute, hold on. Actually, that race didn't count. 
There was actually an infraction that happened before the race that was called after the race, which seems to have happened at quite a few seafarers. As a fan, that was confusing because they announced a different winner after most of us had left that race. Anyways, let's just let's call it 2018 when Andrew got his second victory at Seafair. And the crowd is just going race cars. Here comes Andrew Tate. It looks like you're going to give a checkered flag to Jimmy Shane. He's going to see a checker, but it really belongs to Andrew Tate, the winner of the 2018 Albert Lee Appliance Cup at Seafair. Number four on Iconic Melmonts is one that's it's often talked about by a lot of fans who were there. Uh, 1973, Bud versus Pack. There was a race in the rain, so it was a, a terrible, miserable day of rain. So a typical Seattle summer day, where <laughs> it was pouring buckets of rain. And the visibility was terrible, conditions were miserable, but the fans who stuck it out and toughed it out were really treated to a tremendous race between the Bud and Pack. In each heat, they were deck to deck and exchanged leads on every corner. And I think <laughs> pretty much every finish was a, a photo finish. Streaking into the south turn, your number one boat, the Pride of Pan Pack, wobbling, going around that first buoy on the outside and cutting to the inside is the Miss Budweiser. So we've got a boat race on the inside, the Budweiser, the outside, the Pride of Pan Pack. We'll see if uh, Mickey Riemann has got the acceleration on the outside as they come out of the south turn on the inside. That, the boat you're looking at is the Budweiser on the inside and the outside. And there goes the Pan Pack with that extreme, ultimate acceleration that it has over the rest of the boats. Boy, the Budweiser is really sticking in there, Mike. Look at that. The Budweiser's there. We're taking the Pan Pack now. On the inside, the Budweiser on the outside. And the Budweiser is in first place. Dean Chenoweth really stuck with the Pan Pack coming up that back chute demonstrating some uh, horsepower that we haven't seen the Budweiser show so far this season. She shows that she can stay with the uh, Pride of Pan Pack as we watch him come into that north corner, and Tenoweth has the inside and the advantage on Mickey Riemann in the Pan Pack. Okay, the boat race you see on your screen is directly into the north turn with the Pan Pack on the outside. We've got a whale of a boat race here as the Budweiser is on the inside. Chenoweth wheeling. He's got the position, and that's that experience I was talking about, Mike, with Riemann on the outside. Here comes the Pan Pack. He's got the acceleration, but does he have it this time? The Budweiser's hanging in there. Number three, for me, it's it's an underdog victory. It's I love underdog wins. For the fans, it's always more. It's juicier. It's, it's just so fun to witness and be a part of an underdog victory. And this one is it's, it's kind of a David versus Goliath. <clears throat> I talked before about the 1989 Columbia Cup being on that list. The 1989 Seafair is on my list as well. And this is one where the Circus Circus team destroyed their, their main boat earlier in the season in Syracuse, New York. Threw together their backup boat. Couldn't get it performing well. They actually tore off the rudder and, and had a pretty violent spin out in Tri-Cities week before. And the crew really you know, worked around the clock to get it together. Part of it being Dave Velwalk, who was a crew chief at the time. And it was a, it was a race that was won on the water. It was, it was a, a driver's win. And Chip had a slower boat, an ill-handling boat. He called it the school bus. But he was able to get strategy with his crew members 
on how to beat Tom DeEath in the final. And he, he captured his David versus Goliath victory. Wayne, this is party time down here on the Finger Beard Stand Stairs. Chip, congratulations, great race. What was all this, uh, well, he was kind of laying back in the first heat and you were driving as hard as you could. What happened out here in the final heat? Uh, we just wound up and hit him and uh, the boat ran great. It's, a, it's an old school bus, as I said earlier, and Dave Villawak and Dan Walters and the entire circus team gave me a boat that shouldn't have won, and it won. And I'm just, I, we said before the year started, we've won seven straight gold cups, but a lot of these guys like Don Parkin and have never won in Seattle in front of their home and their high school teachers and their old girlfriends. And we said, this is more important to us than the gold cup. And to do it with a backup boat in this kind of scenario when they were faster, it's just one of the best ones I've ever had. You've won here before. Still as exciting, winning, maybe even more exciting this Time? Much more exciting, there's no comparison because uh, last time we had boat on them and this time we didn't have it, you know, we just had to really gut it out. These guys stayed up night after night after night to get this thing here and I just can't say enough about them. And Dave Bellwalk, the team manager of this team, is he's going to be the greatest star the sport's ever seen. I'm, I've never seen anybody that works as hard, is as dedicated, is as smart, and the guys behind him supporting him. I tell you, in the years to come, the future just looks so good. Number two on the list was a fun one. So 1997, the flip and win. Up to that time, when a boat flipped, everyone thought, you know, they're done, out of the race. And Mark Evans flipped the Pico American Dream in a primary heat, I believe it was the second round. Flipped it, and, you know, everyone thought, you know, they're done, that's it. They brought it back, I believe there was a few other delays, and the team worked feverishly on the boat, got it back together, I believe later in the day, the Elam slid out landed on top of the bud and put the bud out of the race. And so I know that that really helped the Pico's crew as that gave them more time to work on the boat. But, and we talked about that crash in an earlier episode with Mark Weber, but they were able to you know, come together as a team, find parts, put it, the boat back together enough to get it into the final heat and they won the race. And that was, it was kind of a miracle win because up to that time, you flip a boat, you're done. But they had that refuse to lose, refuse to quit attitude, and they, they miraculously won that day. They are cheering their boat as it pulls into the pits. I gotta tell you too, other teams are cheering for those guys. They wanted to go out and win, but what Mark Evans and his guys did today, after being upside down, is nothing short of incredible. And to be honest with you, I don't know that Budweiser could have run with him in that deal. He ran as fast as anybody that runs here all day, and the final heat is always the roughest water with seven boats out there. He's uh, back in the drink again. <laughs> He's been there all day. And this time he wanted to be there. <laughs> Haven't seen a winning driver go in the drink in a long time. That's a $500 fine. He probably forgot about that part. <laughs> Heck, that's the nicest 500 he's ever spent. Brilliant. Let's go down to the pits and the winning driver, Mark Evans. Mark! Wow. Unbelievable day! Isn't that something? Oh, shit. Shoot, I'm out of wind. Oh, man. Awesome crew, huh? Pico is an awesome crew. That's all I can say. You said right when the boat came back upside down, you thought you could put it together, and your crew, I've never seen anything like it. They got it done. Hitting us something. Man, to do a blowover. Come back and win the damn race. I tell you. Oh, hi, Mom. I'm sorry. I'm cussing. I'm, I'll, I'll knock it off, I promise. <laughs> Tell me about the final heat. You took control right off the bat. Oh, man. The guys gave me what I needed. I told them, look, folks, we need some horsepower. I told them my flaps were broke. They fixed the flaps. 
that it was just a perfect ride. The boat was out of hand a little bit, but we had the horsepower. Thanks, Tom. We had the horsepower. We had the ride. We had the energy behind it all. I mean, so many people behind the whole thing. Look at this guy right here. Yeah, come on. This guy raised a bunch of money for this team to put this together. And you got a Leland. It's a Leland Lee, too. up in the water here. It feels pretty good after this. It does. I love it, man. That's great. All right, Mark Evans, that's one of the most incredible wins we'll ever see here at Seafair. All right, before we get to number one, talk about some runners-up. So a few other great races in Seafarers history will be 1979 with Steve Reynolds, who thought he won the race. Everyone on the shore thought he won the race, but turns out he jumped the gun. And it was such a disappointment for the, the fans and for him, as Steve Reynolds was a Mercer Island boy, hometown hero, thought he had the race won. He was a young gun there, and that was his that was his rookie season. Thought he won the race, but jumped the gun. So the race went to Muncie. Also in 1995, when Bernie Little, on another rainy Seafarer Sunday, got another Seafair victory. But it was very iconic for him, as it was his 100th victory. I also got to give a nod to this organization about the Blue Angels. They always perform every summer at Seafair, give a, a, the fans a great show. Many hydroplane fans, including myself, don't always appreciate uh, the Blue Angels there, as I would say it takes a little, away a little, some time from the water. But I know a lot of fans always look forward to it and really enjoy the show that the Blue Angels put on every year. Also, in 1955, the Gold Cup was at Seafair again, and I believe for the fourth year in a row. And it was one that ended in controversy, which is something that we're kind of used to by now. But back then, Muncie thought he had the race won on overall points. All the fans thought he had won. Everyone was excited as Bill Muncie won with the Miss Thriftway. But had the race taken away due to the Gale having an overall faster time and bonus points being awarded to the Gale team. So the Gold Cup would not be back for the next year and went to Detroit. So it's one that really heated up that Seattle-Detroit rivalry. So it's a pretty iconic moment there. But we also had the 707 barrel rolling over the race course. Pilot Tex Johnson uh, barrel rolling uh, Boeing's uh, 707, really putting on a display of what it could do. Well, jumping back to the 90s, 94, Fred Leland got his first victory with Dave Vilwak. Um, really huge win for Fred. It was fun to see him get his first victory then. But also another underdog win in 1992 when the Tide with George Woods Jr. was able to beat Bud and uh, the heavy hitters in the final heat. All right, so my number one iconic moment. And when I thought of all the different moments, I really thought, you know, all of the different seafarers that have happened, the different things that are really are important to people in the history of seafare. And I really channeled my father and a lot of other people who I've talked to about seafarers over the years. But for me, I think the number one iconic moment for Seattle and seafare is in the 50s, from 1951 to about 56, when the slow motions would pit over on the other side of the I-90 bridge in Lashai, and they would start every heat by having a flying start underneath the bridge going full throttle to the starting line. And it upset a lot of people from Detroit, but Seattle loved it. It was 
a beautiful sight to see. And really, if I could say one moment being the, the iconic moment to me in my mind, the slow motions starting under the bridge going 160 miles an hour to that starting line has to be it. But thinking about my personal favorite memories of Seafair, I was really trying to, you know, come up with was there a year that stood out to me, or was there, you know, a particular race that really stands out vividly in my mind. But for me, Seafair, it really meant a time in the summer. I really got excited for, but not necessarily for the race, not necessarily going down to Genesee Park, Stan Sayers Pits, but every year that as a kid in that summer, my father and my mom would open up the house to all different friends from really around the world who would come to Seafair, and we would have guests who would stay with us that whole week. We had people that came from Eastern Washington. California, Canada, Indiana, even some other places on the East Coast that I can't remember right now, but we'd even had people come over from New Zealand. And they would come and stay at Hotel Newton for the week, and we'd always have big barbecues, dinners, and it was such a fun time in the, in the late 80s, 90s, into the 2000s to have people come and stay at our house and really share that experience with us. But at that time, too, there was, you know, the, we didn't have the social media, the internet, and the, the access to the film footage, the race footage uh, that we do now. One thing that would, I would always look forward to is my father would always record all the races, and when Seafair came, we would make VHS copies to the people who would, who would come, and they would, you know, we would watch the races together and kind of dissect and talk about the different racing what went on there, uh, and it was just such a fun time to share that bond of hydroplane racing with our friends. So for me, Seafair really meant time with the extended family and time with our friends uh, to share our love of hydroplane racing. So that has to be my personal favorite memory. Well, did I hit on any of your top iconic moments for Seafair or the Columbia Cup? Did, I, did you think I missed some? 
Well, I probably did. You're right. But if you want to share some more of your favorite moments, feel free to comment on, the, on social media and share it with us. Love to hear from more of you. And before I go, I will share a couple more because I did get a lot of submissions and I think we really need to share out some more. Don't you? This one comes from Nelson Holmberg and he lives in Vancouver, Washington. I've known Nelson for many years. He is a fellow modeler racer. And, but he's been a longtime hydroplane racing fan. And he says his favorite memory is from the Columbia Cup in 1989. He got the chance to recover the race, the Columbia Cup, for the Oregonian newspaper. Uh, he worked part-time in their sports department. Uh, it was it was an interesting weekend because he, he saw the Pringles accident, Chip's accident, and thought he had... Uh, you know, some pretty big stories with that until Mitch Evans won the race with Cooper's Express. He had a lot of fun writing the article, but he also got a ride in Bernie Little's Pleasure Craft, which is a turbine. I'm not sure if it was a catamaran or, but it was, it was a, it was, it was a pretty large boat that had a turbine engine in it and he got to give rides out. But Bernie drove, he got uh, Nelson around. He, unfortunately he had to sit in the back seat with two bug girls on each side of him, so it was, it was quite the experience for him. But he also got to do a story on Chip Hanauer uh, after the accident. He got to recap the 89th season and the Columbia Cup with him. He was a relatively new, Nelson was a new reporter. Chip was his hero growing up, so he got kind of nervous when he talked to him and interviewed him and blanked out on a lot of his questions. Chip had to excuse himself to do something with the team and asked Nelson to come back in 30 minutes, which Nelson did. Um, which gave Nelson some time to overcome some of his nerves and conduct the interview to complete a good story that met the editor's, editor's ex expectations. And Nelson also goes on to, to share that later on in his, in his life, he got the chance to crew on, on the Graham Trucking team and winning Seafair um, as, a, as a member of the Graham Trucking team in 2013, 14, and 15 will always rank pretty high on his favorite memories lists as well. Uh, a pretty funny one from Rob Wheeler uh, was back in the day a few buddies and him were, were driving to the Water Follies. Uh, they just started looking for alcohol that year. And they were in his friend Knox's 49 Chevy flatbed with a pyramid of cases of beer on the back with a tarp over it. They were just pulling up to the gate when a guy in a motorcycle tried to zip in front of him and cut him off. Uh, they gave, they got, the guy at the gate stopped him and yelled at him for taking cuts and waved them in. Um, he said, Rob says he doesn't really remember much after that. So, um, again, I think, you know, some of those days where the beer gardens weren't around, some, some pretty fun days back then. So, thanks for sharing that memory, Rob. Our last memory from Ron Suttle, who, who lives in the Seattle, greater Seattle area. He's attended and participated with the Seattle Seafair um, and, and the Stan Sears Memorial Pits for the past 60 plus years. It's, he says it's really challenging for him to find a single. Uh, most memorable event because there's so many but he has some fond ones he wants to share with us one being the 1961 Seattle Trophy World Championship race this was the race that firmly established his favorite hydroplane Miss Bartle and driver Ron Musson for all time Musson came out of nowhere to upset the favorite Bill Muncy in the, in the Miss Thriftway Century 21 2004 Seafair, when his son Tommy's Navy ship from San Diego, the USS Bonhomme Richard, visited Seattle during Seafair Week. Also, 1965, with Miss XI qualifying at a previously unheard 120 miles an hour 
using nitrous oxide laughing gas, as the newspapers reported. He was in the pits, witnessed driver Bill Brow's stunning achievement, which the pit announcer called out to the appreciative crowd after each impressive lap. He recalls being a bit awestruck at the time. Well, that's it for our stroll down memory lane. I really hope you enjoyed recalling some favorite memories of Columbia Cups and Seafair has gone by. And I know for a fact that I missed some of yours. So feel free to reach out and share on social media your favorite moments that didn't hit my top five or weren't mentioned on the show. It's kind of sad to think at the height of summer we're not getting in the racing that we normally do. But hopefully this hour helped to fill that void. Now next week I have another fun episode planned. We're going to be going back in time to the year 1972 Seafair Sunday and listen to the broadcast of the Seafair Final Heat. I'm not going to spoil who won the race, although I know many of you out there know, but listen in to relive the 1972 Final Heat as told by the announcers of the King 5 station. Now this recording came to me by the fan donation from Greg Dill, and thanks again Greg for sending us those tapes. Really looking forward to restoring and digitalizing all those tapes. A lot of goodies in there, and with that, I'm going to be posting on YouTube the Seafair Saturday preview along with interviews conducted by Bill Muncy. He interviewed a lot of people in the pits that day. Also, the heat racing on Sunday and that final heat. So there are a lot of things to look forward to in the next week as we revisit the 1972 Seafair Regatta. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our episode. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Tail Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.